You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. God wants to fill us with joy, but not joy without reverence. Never one without the other. Never lose that sense of awe and reverence. God loves us, absolutely. He wants wants to bless us and fill our lives, but be careful. Don't play around, because he's serious about sin, and sinning willfully and irreverently. Sometimes there can be dire consequences. One of the unfortunate misconceptions that the world often has of Christianity is that it's a mopey life of doom and gloom. As you're probably well aware, we live lives that are quite the contrary, being filled with joy and reverence towards our Savior. In today's message, Pastor Danny continues to reflect on reverence and some of the ways that we can be irreverent as believers. In his study, you'll learn that one of the most dangerous forms of irreverence is willful habitual sin. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Leviticus, chapter 8, as he continues his message, A Lesson on Reverence. And when Moses inquired about the goat of the sin offering and found that it had been burned up, he was angry with Eliezer and Ithamar, Aaron's remaining sons, and asked, why didn't you eat the sin offering in the sanctuary area? It's most holy. It was given to you to take away the guilt of the community by making atonement for them before the Lord. Since its blood was not taken into the holy place, you should have eaten the goat in the sanctuary area as I commanded. And Aaron replied to Moses, Today they sacrifice their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, but such things as this have happened to me. He's referring to the death of his sons. Would the Lord have been pleased if I had eaten the sin offering today? And when Moses heard this, he was satisfied. In other words, they didn't eat, and I'm sure it's because they had no appetite. He just lost two of his sons, and the two brothers lost two of their brothers. Challenging passage, isn't it? But we learn a lot from it. Here's the first thing. There's a sin unto death. In Joshua chapter 7, the Israelites come into the land of promise. God gave very clear instructions that at Jericho, the first stop, when God gives them the victory at Jericho, all of the riches of Jericho any of the monies, any of the nice things of Jericho goes into the treasury of the Lord because God always gets the first fruits because he's God. And if you know the story, a man named Achan saw some silver, saw some gold, saw a nice Babylonian garment that he thought would probably look good on his wife. He takes them 
goes back and with his family's full knowledge, hides them in the tent. The next stop is Ai. They only send, well, relatively speaking, a few men to Ai and they get their tails whipped. Quite a few Israelites die. Joshua's down on his face before the Lord, crying out, what in the world's wrong? He's praying and God says, not time to pray, get up. There's sin in the camp. The call goes out and Achan, foolish Achan, foolish for doing what he did, but now even more foolish because now there's a call to repent. Now there's a call to come clean. And God whittles down from 12 tribes to his tribe, to his clan, to his family, to his name. His own individual person is called out. And Joshua says, give glory to God. And that means, hey, (laughs) you might as well confess it now because you're caught. And they took Achan and his whole family. And God commanded, stone him to death. That's hard to take. I understand that. 2 Samuel chapter 6 records David after he became king. One of the first things he did is he goes and he defeats the enemy who has captured the Ark of the Covenant. And he brings the Ark of the Covenant back to its rightful place, not only into the land of Israel, but into Jerusalem. And the record, you might know it, 2 Samuel chapter 6 goes like this. Verse 5, David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with songs and with harps, lyres, tambourines, sistrums, cymbals. I mean, you talk about a joyous time. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. And therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. You don't want to miss the next verse. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. David was angry. You say that's Old Testament stuff. 1 John chapter 5, this is New Testament, verse 16. John writes, if anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death... He should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that because it won't do any good. God's already determined. In 1 Corinthians 11, in the context of the Lord's table, some were coming and eating of the Lord's table, sharing in communion, and they were doing it in an unworthy manner. Their hearts weren't really right with the Lord. And here's what it says. Chapter 11, 1 Corinthians, verse 26, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, in an irreverent manner, will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. Make sure your heart's right with God. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And then he says this, That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. God said, that's enough. And he he reaches out, and he takes their life. That's New Testament. I know we're all familiar. Well, I don't know we're all. Most of us probably familiar with Acts chapter 5. I mean, what a time in the church, the early church, and uh, so many tremendous things going on. I mean, you want to be a part of a church, that's a church to be a part of. 
Of course, there's great persecution as well. But I mean, people are getting healed. Church is growing exponentially, uh, unbelievably. Thousands of people. People getting saved uh, regularly. Uh, healings happening and great teaching and preaching going on. The apostles are teaching daily in the temple courts. People are meeting in their homes and, and the grace of God is just flowing and people are being led to sell a house or a piece of property they don't really need and come and bring it to the leadership of the church and the leadership just distributing to anyone as he had need. And it says that for a period of time in that early church, there were no needy persons among them. No needy person. Everybody got their needs met. No needy person. You talk about a church to be a part of. That's why it's shocking when you get to Acts chapter 5 in that early church and you read about this husband and wife, Ananias and Sapphira. And they're led by the Lord to sell a piece of property. They sell the property, they get the money, and instead of bringing all of the money to the leadership of the church as they should have, they keep back a part of it for themselves. They got greedy. And God gives Peter a word of knowledge about what they had done. And one at a time, they come into Peter, and Peter says, is this the amount you sold the property for? Yeah, that's it. God took their lives. And the end of that section, verse 11 of Acts chapter 5, says, in great fear, seized the church. They got a fresh reverence for God. You see, again, hey, look, we ought to be filled with joy. Absolutely, God wants to fill us with joy, but not joy without reverence. Never one without the other. Never lose that sense of awe and reverence. God loves us, absolutely. He wants, uh, he wants to bless us and fill our lives, but be careful. Don't play around, because he's serious about sin, and sinning willfully and irreverently. Sometimes there can be dire consequences. Now, I want to pause here just for a minute, and I think it's good to do so, because if you're thinking at all about this and the sin unto death, because it's not just Old Testament, it's New Testament. But if you think about it now, God takes uh, Nadab and Abihu. God takes Uzzah for his irreverent act. Then, then let me ask you, how come David got off, King David? It's a good question. David committed murder. Under the old covenant, he should have been stoned to death. David committed adultery. Under the old covenant, David should have been stoned to death. Okay. How did David get off when others didn't? Why did David get off and others didn't? I'm going to give you my best shot, all right? My best shot at answering that. Romans chapter 4 and verse 4. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. And then he quotes a psalm from a psalm that David wrote after he repented from his sin of adultery and murder. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. If I understand scripture correctly, every one of us deserve death. You with me? Every one of us. And in those scriptures like Nadab and Abihu, like Uzzah, like 
1 Corinthians 11, where God took some Christians home because of their irreverence and their unwillingness to repent. Like Acts chapter 5 in the New Testament church where God took Ananias and Sapphira. God is there teaching in those situations, don't take for granted my holiness and my grace for you. My best shot is God's teaching through the incident with David, the grace of God. David deserved death, just like all of us deserve death. But in those situations, those irreverent acts, he's teaching us. He's teaching us, look, don't take for granted what I have done for you. And don't forget who I am. I'm a holy God. That's my best shot. He's teaching two different lessons. In David, he's teaching David deserved it, just like we all do. But here's the grace of God. And in the others, hey, not cheap grace. And don't forget, the God who is fully gracious is also fully holy. Well, there's another lesson. God does not show favoritism. You see, unless I understand the balance of Scripture in the teachings that he's teaching us about grace and mercy with David, and he's teaching us about reverence and holiness in these other situations, otherwise I have to conclude God shows favoritism. Otherwise I have to say, well, God loved David more than he loved those guys. But the Bible makes it very clear, repeatedly. I'm not going to turn to those verses. All of them tell us God is, does not show favoritism. God doesn't treat my kids any different because I'm the pastor of this church than he does your kids. God doesn't treat me any different than he treats you because I'm the pastor of this church. He doesn't show favoritism. He doesn't treat Moses any different than he treats anybody else because he's not a God of favoritism. Here's another lesson in the story in Leviticus tonight. The greater the honor bestowed, the more strict the judgment. James says, hey, you shouldn't want everybody to be a teacher. If God's called you to be a teacher, be a teacher. But understand, <laughs> those who teach, we who teach will be judged more strictly. It's not one of my favorite verses in the Bible. <laughs> I'm going to be judged more strictly because of the privilege God has given me to, to study and to teach his word. I'd like to move on from that one. Well, before I do, let me give you another scripture uh, on this one, and I'm going to read from this. Luke chapter 12, because this is what Jesus said. Verse 47, the servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. For... From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Greater the honor, more strict the judgment. And then obedience is better than sacrifice. And uh, not going to turn to it, but the first king of Israel, King Saul, God gave him a mission. He failed miserably in it. And... Uh, he brings back the king of the Amalekites, Agag. He brings back some of the best of the, the sheep and the cattle or whatever. And uh, Samuel confronts him and he says, wait, well, I did obey the Lord. And he says, we, we brought these back, the people, the army brought these fine animals back to sacrifice to the Lord. And then Samuel says, obedience is better than sacrifice. Hey, don't miss this one. I learned this one from the text tonight and the story tonight. After times of great glory, beware of potential for great defeat. I mean, the end of chapter 9, what was it? 
glory of the Lord appears. They're full of joy. They're also full of reverence. And then you got chapter 10 right after that. Another lesson is stupid is as stupid does. I'll go back to just this one for a second because it's good enough to put stupid up there twice. Remember Jericho and right after Jericho was AI. Remember Elijah on Mount Carmel and right after Mount Carmel is him running from Jezebel. I mean, what a time of glory after 850 false prophets have been defeated and God answers by fire. And then Elijah finds himself in a cave in a pity party. Watch out. Hey, watch out when you have a really good day because the next one might not be so good. Just the way it is. Some of my greatest Sundays, some of the greatest times in the weekend. This is just honest. My wife's sitting right here and she'll tell you I'm telling the truth. Some of the greatest weekends of ministry, Monday can be a day of great depression. It's just weird how that works. I mean, you don't want to throw darts at Nate Evan and Baihu because we're all capable. But I mean, what a legacy. What a legacy of great spiritual experiences. What a privilege uh, they had. What a calling they had. And you think back, uh, they saw the miracles God did in Egypt to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. They heard the voice of God. Uh, they witnessed the fire, lightning, and thunder at Mount Sinai. Man, that ought to excite a holy reverence in you. They had gone up with Moses, Aaron, and the elders of Israel with a special meeting with God on Mount Sinai, Exodus chapter 24. It says they saw the God of Israel. Now, obviously, it must have been in a vision, but it says they saw the God of Israel. They ate and drank with God. And didn't die. Despite the tremendous privileges and experiences they had, to do something like that, you just go, oh, God, help me. Don't don't be that stupid. I mean that. Help me. Because we're all capable. I mean, David. David, go one night, stand, and look what it led to. My goodness. But there's some challenges, and I'll close with these. Uh, Some challenges from the story for me. Uh, One is not developing an attitude against God for his actions. Uh, David I uh, didn't put the scripture up, but the one I referred to and looked at, 2 Samuel chapter 6, uh, David was angry with the Lord when the Lord took Uzzah's life. But if you read on, David finally brought the ark back to Jerusalem, and it says every step that, that the Levites would take, I think it says they took six steps and then they stopped and they made sacrifices. In other words, they're doing it in a much more reverent way. But he also realized, and it tells us in First Chronicles 15, that the Levites on the first trip weren't the ones assigned to the ark. Not only that, the ark was on, on a cart pulled by oxen. The, the ark was always to be carried by the Levites on the poles that God provided. That was the prescribed way. And David tells us in First Chronicles 15, he realized that's why God's anger broke out against Uzzah because of the irreverent act. But David was partially responsible because David's the one in charge. And he says there in 1 Chronicles 15, God did that because we did not do it in the prescribed way. It was an irreverence. And we won't spend time on this one, but you learn from the text, an inappropriate public remorse in response to God's judgment against rebellion. 2 Samuel 18 is the story of Absalom's rebellion. Absalom was one of David's sons, and he rebelled against his dad, terrible rebellion, and he even tried to take his dad's life. And would have if he, if he could. And uh, David's army goes out, and General Joab and uh, Absalom is killed. And when the army comes back in and the news comes to David that his son is dead, 
Uh, he's weeping so loudly that the whole army, because he's weeping in a room over the gateway. When the army's coming back in the gateway, they can hear him just weeping uncontrollably. And he's crying out, oh, my son Absalom, oh, my son Absalom. And the men, the men were so discouraged because they, David's like caring more for the rebellious son than he does for the guys that are defending him. And uh, he's rebuked by Joab, a very good rebuke. And he said, you better go out there and encourage your men or you won't have anybody left by tomorrow. And it was an inappropriate public um, show that ignored God defending him. And while he should have, of course, you know, naturally uh, remorseful and, and grieving over his son's loss, he needed to do what God instructed Aaron and the remaining sons to do. You make sure you don't show inappropriate mourning. You make sure you stand for the holiness of God and the rightness of God in his actions. And then the lesson of standing with ordained leaders against rebellion. I could do a whole message on this one. You'll be thankful I'm not going to. <laughs> I'll just read this and we'll close. But Numbers chapter 16 and the rebellion of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram who led 250 key leaders under Moses in rebellion against Moses. And Moses first confronts them because what they're trying to get is the priesthood, something God had not called them to. And they're trying to do something unauthorized. And uh, Moses confronts them. They don't listen. And then they bring their censers like the priesthood would. And they put the incense and the fire in their censers and they come before the Lord. And God opens up the earth. It's the first church split, if you will, in the Bible. And uh, all those who had followed them went down uh, into the earth. And it says that uh, fire came out from the presence of the Lord, uh, verse 35, and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. God took them. And that was a sin unto death. And after it's all over with, verse 41 says, the next day the whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron and said, you've killed the Lord's people. No. No, the rebels are the ones that died. The rebels. But well, they said, you've killed the Lord's people. We've had situations here where we've disciplined people in the name of the Lord and uh, never pleasant. And we have had times where uh, the leadership has not been in unity and we haven't stood together for the holiness of God and the reverence of God. And those, are, those have been tough times. And thank God I don't have to talk about it anymore. But hey, we need to stand together and we need to stand and support leaders against uh, rebellion and sin in the church. We're living in a day when, my goodness, you get sued for disciplining a member of the body of Christ. Might sue you. Thank God we haven't been sued yet. Pray we don't get sued. But we're not going to back down. We're not going to back down because we love people. God loves people. And if we really love people, then, then there has to be discipline. I mean, New Testament it has to be disciplined. Okay, we'll close with this. Say this with me. Ready? As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he called, who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear.
Now, don't, I don't want anybody to leave here misunderstanding. We're not to fear judgment. We're not to fear hell. We're not to walk around with, oh, I'm so afraid. No, but it is a reverence, a reverence. Yes, we're to be filled with joy. We're to be filled with joy, but never without a reverence for our God. We're so glad you joined us today on The Living Word. Thanks for being a part of our listening audience. If you want to hear today's message again, please visit ccfstpete.church. You're also invited to join our Bible reading plan. Just look under the Resources tab on our website for more information. This is a great way to dive into the Word. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to take a moment to ask you to partner with us here on The Living Word. Would you join with us in praying for the listeners of this program? Everyone deserves the chance to be changed by the love of Christ, so please pray that anyone listening remains open to hearing the gospel message. Pray for soft hearts to receive the grace that Jesus has for all. Please pray also for us, that we'd continue seeking God's will for this program, and that we'd have the courage to follow Him wherever He might lead. As you pray, please consider if God would lead you to support us financially in some capacity. If you'd like to partner with us in this way, please visit our website at ccfstpete.church and click on the online giving guide under Forms. Thanks for praying with and for us. How can we pray for you? Let us know by emailing us at info at ccfstpete.church. With that, we've come to the end of our time with you today. Thanks for tuning in for The Living Word. 